The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hello, friends, and welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I am Carrie Charles, your host, and I am thrilled today to have with me Rod Hansen. He is the founder and CEO of Cityside Networks. Rod, thanks so much for joining me today. Carrie, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. I I listen to this every week. I'm a faithful listener. Well, thank you. That means a lot. I've been excited and waiting for you to be a guest. So here we are. All right. So, Rod, you've been in the industry a long time in telecom, and you've done quite a few different things. I'd love to hear more about that journey. I know part of it, but I'm sure there's more. Oh, yeah. I don't usually like to admit how long I've been in the industry, but since this is your show, we're going to do true confessions now at this point. So perfect. Yeah, I, I started in, in the industry, uh, the wireless industry in 1992, if you can believe that. I was actually selling cell phones in Jacksonville, Florida for Cellular One, which was owned by Macaw Cellular back then. So I was selling, you know, a thousand dollar Motorola brick phones, mostly to business and that's how I remember I those. Oh, I yeah. remember those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> they were a big deal and pretty expensive back then. So, but it was, that's how I, you know, dipped my toes into the industry. So, and in, uh, in 96, I moved over to the development side of the business and, and started working for a consulting firm doing site acquisition work. I moved back to Seattle, which was my hometown. And worked for a company there for a number of years doing site acquisition back in the days. At 96, it was crazy times. We went from two wireless carriers to eight wireless carriers in each market. And so everybody and their brother was building. And it was a little like it is today. It was hard to find people. Um, That's probably why it was so easy for me to get a job right out of the gate. Uh, Basically, if you could fog a mirror. You could, mm-hmm. uh, you could come work in our industry, which is a lot of fun. So we were building new towers all over, all over the country. I worked with, um, voice stream. I worked with Nextel. I worked with Sprint. I worked with AT&T. So all, all of those guys from back in that time, that was, uh, that's when I fell in love with the industry. I think I found that I finally found kind of my home. So, so did that at one point. Went over to AT&T and became their real estate manager for the Pacific Northwest. Worked on their deployments there. And in 2001, I left AT&T and started my own company, a company called Realcom Associates based out of Seattle. And that was a ton of fun. We started out doing site acquisition work and, and that grew into A&E and all different types of services up and down the West Coast and did that. uh, And in 2013, I sold that company to SmartLink. They needed a West Coast presence. And and so we we joined forces and that was a great experience. And then had just an amazing opportunity in 2016 to go over to Crown Castle and became their vice president, small cells for the uh, Western U.S. And that was uh, such a great experience. And I learned a lot 
And that's what led me to last year, November and last year, left Crown and started thinking about a new a new business idea. And in March this year, we formed a company called uh, Cityside Networks, which is what I'm doing now. That's awesome. And, and, you know, that's when I got to know you was when you were with Crown. And it's just so exciting to be able to, to feature your new company. And I do this often, you know, to, to look at some new companies in our industry and what's going on and, and you know, who's disrupting what. And so I, I want to hear more about CitySide Networks. Tell me the story behind it. You know, how, how is it born and what problems do you solve? Yeah, so I left Crown. I updated my LinkedIn, basically, just that, and I received a phone call that same day from a uh, who's now a co-founder, Jonathan Restivo. He and I uh, worked together at SmartLink, and he called me and said, "Hey," and this is the middle of COVID, mind you, right? So everything's closed. About the only thing that was available was a you know a Starbucks with outdoor seating. So he said, "Let's get together with coffee. I have some ideas." And so we sat down. He had a McKinsey consulting report on the evolution of 5G and the challenges, and it was all marked up, you know, and we started talking about kind of the challenges that we're seeing in the industry and started, uh, he and I started having uh, brainstorming sessions, uh, three o'clock every Monday, we'd call each other and spend a couple hours on the phone, just, just talking through the industry and some of the challenges and trying to find some, to be really honest, look for some big problems to solve. Right. And there are a few. And, and kind of what kept hitting me was I'd read a couple of articles. One was about the digital divide and the lack of broadband in our country. I think the article said there's 162 million people without true broadband Internet in, in this country. 162 million Americans. So that was that was obviously a big a big issue, and it's getting a lot of press, especially with COVID. About that same time, I read an article that Japan at the end of 2020 had deployed a total of 700,000 5G sites. We were well below 100,000 at that particular time. And so that kind of struck me as a big problem as well. And my time at Crown taught me that deploying 5G infrastructure was slow and it was very expensive. And it struck me that part of the issue was when we were in markets where Crown had fiber, it was faster and less expensive. And we started talking about Maybe the cart's before the horse with 5G. Maybe you really need to have that infrastructure in place. And that really is what gives you the green light to be able to do all these other things. You know, at the same time, I've heard a lot of things about smart city and how, you know, everyone talks, but it's not being deployed. Well, it's not being deployed because it's too expensive. It's too expensive because the infrastructure doesn't exist, the underlying infrastructure. So all these things just kept coming around. And, And we talked about, you know, really, we felt like the solution is, to look at a city and then start there. Start with the needs of the city and the and the and the people within that city, understanding all these different things that are going on. And it felt to us that fiber to the home and fiber to the premises should be the the starting point. You know, focus there. How do you bring fiber past every home, down every street? And once you can do that, if you can figure out how to do that, the rest of it becomes much easier. And so we're focusing on building a shared infrastructure where we build the fiber throughout the city and then we we sign up our customers would be an ISP or an inter- internet service provider. They sign a long-term lease on that fiber. Uh, we build it 
And then as time goes on, it opens up and we bring on another ISP so that there's people are invited in to play, so to speak. And then that foundation allows us to build 5G, smart cities, edge data centers, and all those other great things that we know are coming. Uh, but it's done on the shared consolidated network. So CitySide takes a holistic approach. Tell me more about what that means and how does it benefit everyone, consumers, businesses, government? Yeah. So the, the holistic approach really is a matter of looking at it, again, from the cities and citizens approach rather than from a single user approach. I mean, typically speaking, traditionally, especially on the wireless side, Verizon has a build plan. They go into a city, they build so many small cells and so many cell sites and is specifically for their need, which is great. AT&T, T-Mobile and you know, now DISH are all doing the same thing, but they're not coordinated in any way. And the infrastructure, while in the tower business, it is shared in the in the fiber and the small cell business. Typically, it's not. Crown, obviously, Crown Castle, obviously, would is, is very much into that business. But by and large, it's being done separately and, and with that, that single user in mind. What we're looking at is, okay, from the city's perspective and the citizen's perspective, how do we consolidate all those needs and look 30 years out, right? And, and so what should that look like? What would be the most effective and efficient way to deploy the network? And that's really the approach we're taking. So let's look 30 years out. So what does this digital city of the future look like? Yeah, it's. I think it's. you can Google that. And there's some really interesting videos out there, YouTube videos about the future. I'm certainly not a futurist, but, you know, I what I'm seeing, quite frankly, is that you've got this, the need for, for bandwidth for so many different ways. So you've got fiber to the home, fiber to the business, 5G wireless, which needs high-speed connectivity. You've got edge data centers and computing, be able to get low latency and get data closer to the user. Got all types of smart city applications that are waiting in the wings for the infrastructure to be built. You know, to truly enable autonomous vehicle cars that not only drive by themselves, but also know where other where the other vehicles are and can actually time their, you know, they know so well that, that there's a point where uh, red lights will not be needed or stop signs because they'll just time and go straight and you won't slow wow. down. And there's so many things that nobody's thought of yet because the infrastructure is not there. You know, I think the city of the future is is digital and the city of the future is the foundation is fiber, which is why we are focusing there first. So what are the challenges with broadband today? And, you know, how do we solve for this? I know there's just so everywhere you look, there seems to be a challenge. Yeah, it's a number of things. First and foremost, I think it's cost. It's so expensive to build. And the way we do that today, our current system is, uh, it's much like I, I mentioned earlier, everybody's doing their own thing. And so, you've, you know, today we're coming from a legacy of, of monopolies where, you know, the, the cable company and the ILEC local phone company built a, a single purpose network uh, on a monopoly. And the funny part about that is that if you think about it, it's a little like if I want to buy internet in my home, I have two choices, right? I have the cable company and the local phone company. And if I want anything faster than 25 megabits per second, I really only have one choice, and that's the cable company. 
right? If I wanted to buy a product from, say, Verizon Fios, was now available in the East Coast. If I wanted that, it doesn't come to my house. And so I, I look at it very similar to as if we were to build, you know, I, I heard a very smart person use this analogy one time. And that was that in the United States, it's like if you wanted to drive a Ford vehicle, Ford would build all their own roads, right? And as long as Ford's road came to your house, you could buy a Ford. But if you wanted wow. to buy a Chevy, then Chevy would have to build a separate road to come to your house. Mm. And that just, I that's just that. kind of the craziness of, of, right. of kind of how our, our networks are deployed today. So, you know, what we're looking to do is a wholesale shared network that would allow, you know, other carriers to come on and utilize the network. Mm. Sounds like a smart idea to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that's being done in Europe. It's yeah. not, I wish I could say I was original, not, not even by a long shot. It's being deployed in, in Northern Europe. It's being deployed in parts of England now. Uh, it's become a very popular model, and we're starting to see it uh, emerge in the United States. So when you start a company, some, sometimes you run into this roadblock of the way it's always been done. And, you know, that's really an uphill battle sometimes. And, you know, it's the story of disruptive technologies, right? You're, right. you're telling the story, you're convincing people, even though it's like, look, this is the way we've always done it. And you want to, to paint that picture so they see things differently. What mountains do you have to climb to make the city side vision a reality? Yeah, it's it's like anything when you're when you're new and a relatively new concept. Um, the biggest challenge really is twofold. It's the it's that the ecosystem is not yet in place, right? There's there's when you think about ISPs, right? Uh, most ISPs are connected to the network, and so therefore that's usually the case. You know, at least in terms of larger scale players that are capable of signing long-term agreements like like what we're looking for and what we're dealing with with our customers. And so having that um, th an ISP that that doesn't feel like they have to build and own is new. It's a new a new concept in the United States. So those particular that partnership is still a new concept that's the ecosystem is still developing. So that's one area. And then secondly, I think just like anything else, industries get a bit entrenched in, in entrenched in their in their own systems, right? And so it's a change of attitude. It's it's a change to where you know an AT and T, for instance, can look and say, you know, maybe in this market it might make sense for me to not build and deploy all this capital. Maybe it would make more sense for us to partner uh, with a with a an infrastructure owner, like they do on the tower business. That it reminds me, you know, I'm you know, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember when towers when when we were out doing site acquisition and AT and T and Verizon and all the carriers didn't share towers. It was a no-no. Uh, I remember submitting a co-location application on behalf of Nextel to AT&T and, and being told it was going to, it was a hundred thousand dollar application fee, non-refundable. And there was no guarantee that, and no guarantee that they would, uh, that they would oh accept it. And, wow. and so fast forward now, and that's the model. I mean, it makes sense for towers to be shared and, and you've got the crown castles and the American towers of the world out there doing that. That ecosystem now exists. And, and we're kind of in that early stage right now, I think in, in the whole concept of open access. 
So you talked about the digital divide, and I know this is a hot topic and we hear about it and everything we read just about these days. So to bridge the digital divide, what needs to happen to make this possible? And I mean, what is in the way of getting there? Is it is it going to happen? Yeah, I, I think it will. I think it's exciting. It's probably maybe one of the most exciting things about what we're doing it is, you know, it, it, number one, first and foremost, you got to break down old models. Right. And because we have spent an inordinate amount of money building out these networks. But often what happens is we keep building in the same places. We don't build in areas that, that are not served. And so and that's being driven primarily by economics and by an old model. My analogy earlier about the Ford roads, well, some of those Ford roads are dirt roads and, and you know, they keep repaving other roads, <laughs> but they have never brought pavement to these first roads. And, and that's kind of the case with with um, broadband today. I think what's exciting about that, though, is the, the, the current infrastructure bill that's on the table and, and what I think has really been a complete, re, you know, complete resurgence of, of, of interest in, in building it out. I think, I think both, both private and public interests now are fully aligned that we need to go ahead and make this investment. And, and so that's super exciting. And I think the, when you think about it, I feel like there's three things that you've got to be able to do to really break it down. One is you've got to, you got to have people have to have access to it, which means we've got to build it. It's got to get to their home, right? So they, they, that's got to happen and it's happening. The second thing is we've got to find a way to make it affordable so that people can afford it. And, you know, not everybody can afford a gigabit, you know, of symmetrical service at a hundred dollars a month. And, that technology is game changing for folks. And so I think the whole affordability piece is is a is a big one. And I think that's that is where the federal government and state and local governments can help with that. I think there's some good programs to do that. And then thirdly is we've got it, people need to know how to use it um, <laughs> just because you have it, just because you can afford it doesn't mean you can actually leverage it to better your life. And so education and training and, and um, digital literacy is, is uh, the third piece of this. And that's then at that point, it becomes pretty game changing. That was well said. You know, I can remember so many things uh, that I've purchased or have or software or pieces of technology that I never learned how to use. Right. And right. so I, I had this thing that was supposedly going to make my life so much easier. And I never really learned how to use it. I was just too busy. So it's very well said. I, I, I think that's intuitive. So Rod, you've got some experience in workforce development with Realcom and, and you get the pain that we're feeling right now, you know, with the push for broadband and fiber and deployment of 5G networks and every telecom company in the U.S. is just bursting at the seams with projects right now. And, you know, we have a workforce crisis. I mean, it's very difficult to find people just simply in our industry. And now you add that on top of the fact that it's difficult for anyone to find people in this country with the labor shortage that we're facing. So, what I'd like to hear your perspective. Obviously, we can't solve this in in five minutes, or maybe we can. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Um, we'll give it a shot. But you know, how how are we going? How, how do we solve this? You know, how are companies going to get the people they need to grow? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel here for us? Yeah, I think that's been. A, it's funny because, as I mentioned, I back in '96, 
that was the issue. I mean, we you couldn't find people because this is a brand new industry that didn't really didn't exist to the level it does now. And so it, there was uh, people were coming in from all different walks of life. We had people coming, a lot of people coming from the military, folks coming in from the real estate background, legal, you name it, cons, you know, other other types of construction. And so um, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that I got to, to watch that. And you know, I think for me, as I look, you know, now we're more established, we're just trying to add. I think the number one thing you want to be thinking about that I think about is, you know, first and foremost, make sure you keep the back door closed. <laughs> you don't want to be bringing right. in talent and lose talent, right? right. At the same right. time, you want to make sure. And, and that that actually helps you from a recruiting perspective. But the key is, you know, create an environment where people feel appreciated and they're part of a great team, right? That they have, it's super clear what, what how they contribute you know, what the goals are of the company and then how they can contribute to those goals, I think creates a a much more positive environment. I've been lucky enough to work in some really highly functional teams and there's just a buzz, you know, that you can, you walk in and there's this positive energy and people are busy and they're working and it's just, it's very contagious, right? So, so first and foremost, create an environment where people want to be and stay right. And, mm-hmm. and I, 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 yeah, people don't use the word fun enough. In my opinion, I, I, I really believe that it's really important. You create an environment that's fun and I don't mean forced fun, right? I, right, we, right. To, my old boss at crown used to joke around about, he goes, okay, folks, now it's time for some forced fun, right? <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, creating an environment where people are excited and they're Mm -hmm. having fun and it's okay to celebrate your wins and it's okay, you know, to not feel um, threatened if things don't go perfect, right? Mm Because rarely do they. So I think number one for me is creating that environment that creates a magnet for people because this industry, it's a big industry and it's a small industry. People know each other in this industry and, and people network and, and you build a reputation where it's a great place to work and, and recruiting becomes much, much easier. Beyond that, I think, uh, and a lot of people have talked about this, is once once you have that established, you need to create paths for people for their career through training, development, mentorship. You know, those are things that allow people not only to get into the industry, but to to create a career path within that industry so that you so that people stay and 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 they and they invite other talented people um, from wherever they came from. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's there's no magic bullet. But, you know, my experience has been that if you can create that environment, it, it just becomes a, a much, much easier place. We're, we're in a super exciting industry and it's more exciting than it's ever been. And, you know, people should want to come in and, and be a part of it. So it's, I think that's really, a really important is to become a talent magnet. Ooh, I like that. A talent magnet. Yes, and exactly. It's uh, I might steal that from you, but I'll give you credit. I'll give you credit. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. No, that's, that's well said. Well said. So what, what excites you about the future and Cityside Networks and, and your vision? Like what just lights you up and, and gets you just to jump out of bed every day? Yeah, honestly, I love our industry. Like I said, in 96, I, I, it was when I felt like I was home. 
you know, all the dysfunction and craziness of our industry, I somehow I fit in just great. You know, we're one big dysfunctional family. Me too. Exactly. But I, you know, I really enjoy what we do. And what excites me is that the industry is evolving very quickly right now. And I think in a really positive way, the convergence of wireline and and wireless is happening. Big tech is converging as well. And and all of these things are finally, you know, becoming integrated and that's exciting. And to be a part of that is really exciting. And then when I look at the economic and social transformation that is possible, right? You know, we talk about digital divide. There is an ability to transform people's lives through this. And that's super exciting to me. And it's, it's something that kind of keeps me, you know, keeps me excited and, and motivated. You've got a bigger purpose. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. No, that's great. Where can we learn more about Cityside Networks? Well, it's pretty easy. It's, uh, you can go on the website, www.citysidenetworks.com. And you're also welcome to ping me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and I post occasionally on there. I'd love to hear from folks that have any questions or, or you know, anything I, we can help with. Obviously, if you're an ISP, yes, please reach out. That would be fantastic. <laughs> exactly. But no, I think that's that's probably the easiest thing. And, and, you know, I've been around the industry a long time. So a big network of folks. So feel free to reach out. Rod, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that your company is going to be a huge success. And, you know, it just... It just lights me up to hear you talk about the way that your technology and your ideas can really make a difference, not just in, you know, broadband and, and I mean, really in people's lives. And you said it. I mean, it's like you're you're doing something that can transform people's lives and it just feels good. So thank you for starting the company Cityside Networks. Thank you for just stepping out there and being the entrepreneur that you are and taking a risk. And like I said, I have no doubt this is going to happen. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Carrie. And thank you for this, this uh, podcast. I, I think it's, it's a unique opportunity to listen to some really talented people and bring us all together as an industry. I appreciate you doing this. I, I, I really do. I think you do a great job. Thank you, Rod. Thank you. I appreciate you. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.